0: Good morning. How are you all? Good. It's good to see you all. It really, really is. Can we pray? We're going to just get into the book of Acts again, and we pray, and uh, we'll take it from there. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. We honor you. I thank you that we can gather around your word. We truly love you, Lord, and I pray for for your spirit of wisdom and revelation to speak. Lord, let your word speak. Unless it happens by your spirit, Lord, it does not happen. Uh, do not pray this morning for intellectual information, but even a form of repentance, a, a changing the way that we think, a transformation from your word. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Last week we started in the book of Acts, and you know, friends, I just want to say that sometimes when we hear things that are somewhat new or fresh or different or challenging to us, sometimes it's, it feels uncomfortable. I went through nine attitudes that I see in the book of Acts. And it's just that's what I saw. And I hope, you know, you see the same or maybe they're different for you. But sometimes there's this, it feels uncomfortable in the room. And, you know, it's not a bad thing because we're surrounded by voices. We're surrounded by so many voices, you know, whether it's uh, TV, movies, Hollywood, teachers, school, career, people in your life, good and bad. But there's one voice that counts. They all matter, but there's one voice that trumps them all, and that's his voice. And so when we hear something, I just want to encourage you, when you hear something that feels uncomfortable, especially if it touches a hot topic, children or politics or whatever, it's not to say, well, I I don't agree. I, I challenge you, for the purpose of growth, see if it lines up with this. Because if it does, we change, he doesn't. And sometimes that's a, it's an undoing. It's like you've got to be, sometimes become undone inside of you. And it's a retraining of the way you think, which is the metanoia, the Greek word for repentance in the New Testament, is to change the way you think. And so I encourage you, whoever's preaching it, when you hear things that are that great against you, don't run at the person. Go to this, like the noble Bereans. Test it. Please, don't just believe that. Test it. And if you find it, Allow the Lord to put it in your heart, and allow the Lord to work it in your heart. Amen? Because that is the transformative process that the Holy Spirit wants to take us through. All right, can you turn to the book of Acts, please? We're going to keep going with this. I'm laying a, a foundation, a platform. I know preachers say that all the time. They always mean it. But the reason I'm doing this is because... I'm hoping to answer some questions today, and so I have to begin to lay certain foundations, certain platforms for us to go through uh, however long we are in the book of Acts. I'm not sure how long that'll be. What is it that happened to these disciples that we see in the Bible, that we see, you know, who is the greatest and fighting and squabbling, and Lord, should we call thunder down? I mean, they were interesting guys in the Gospels. And what happened to them from that to these mighty apostles that you see? What changed? What took place? What changed in their character, also in power? What shifted? It's a very interesting process to look at. What took them, I wrote, from the disciples who ran away who denied Him to the people that became? What were they convinced of that perhaps we are not? Because many people look at the book of Acts or the early church and they see the accounts and they see what God did. It's also interesting, I believe with all my heart, that that the book of Acts, in a sense, is an un, it's, an, it's a not a finished book. Uh, the Bible, it starts, it says, all that Jesus began, began to do and teach, and it's still the ministry of Jesus through people. And it's, it's interesting that scholars will tell you, it's about 33 years, it's a very similar length to the length of Christ's life, and I, I believe it's the Lord, you know, He has so many things hidden in Scripture, it's Him trying to say, it's repeated. It's not supposed to end. It's, it's trying. I'm trying to tell people do what he did. Why is it so different in the body of Christ today, generally speaking? Why does there seem to be such a great, in a sense, difference in the what we see here in the early church and what we see today? And firstly, let me remind you, whenever you read this book of Acts, whenever you read, uh, bio- who reads biographies of these great revivalists and power, and, and it's awesome, but you kind of get discouraged, right? You're like, Okay, well, that's great. I'm not, you know. Friends, this and those books are highlights in a person's life. This is written over 33 years. It's 28 chapters. You can read it in a day. But it's a 30 30 to 33-year process. We don't see the valleys they go through. We just get the highlights. And we think, well, I must be like that every day. And it's it's just not sometimes reality. Hello? It's very, very important to understand that. But I think there's multiple factors why things are so different. Is firstly, that in the beginning, you know, I've heard many people come to me and say, oh, we want, you know, Acts chapter 2, not just Pentecost, but they were all together and they lived together in this almost unrealistic sense of community. Well, we have to understand that it was one culture. One culture, one people group with the same mindset, with the same upbringing, in the same area. It's all Jewish people. And so the culture was established. It's fundamentally different when you spread out throughout the whole world different cultures, different tribes, different languages, different tongues, different beliefs, different lands. Well, it's going to look different. That's true. That's why it evolves. That's not the best word, but it transitions and changes as you go through the book of Acts. But I do believe, because no matter how they grew, no matter how things expanded, no matter what happened, and I've been studying, trying to study the entire book in the original language for quite a while, and and it's been challenging to me in in a very good way, not in in an oppressive way. What you see, which is interesting, is that no matter the expansion, no matter the different cultures, the power of God doesn't lessen, doesn't change. And so we have to say, why? I believe... They had settled a few issues which many of not uh, we're not sure of today or we we wrestle with them for them it was settled it was done so i'm going to talk about two of them are are kind of thoughts they had about god or two of them are just uh, perspectives that they operated from and two are deep 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 truths and so i'm going to touch on those four things today first of them are very quick first the two little perspectives that they had it seemed they had come to understand that God received glory more through the victory than defeat. Christians struggle with that today. And what I mean by that, it's like we believe, well, I just need to take it and give God glory. Friends, let me say, we can give God glory through everything because He's still King. If I'm sick, He's still the King. If I'm healed, He's still the King. If I'm hurt, He's still the King. If I'm whole, He's the King. If I'm broken, He's still the King. If I'm in His presence and hearing His voice and ministering, He's still the King. If I'm lying in my bed and can't do anything, He's still the King. So, absolutely true. No matter what we do, we can, no matter what we go through, we can give the Lord glory. But, but, they believed, what I can see in Scripture, that He got more glory from their glory, not from defeat. What do I mean by that? Of all the times in the Bible that it says, and then they shall know that I am God. It's about 130 odd times. Then they shall know that I am the Lord across all covenants when it says that. Most every time, I, don't, I used to say every time, but it, it's not quite. Most every time it says that. It's in reference to miraculous signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and so forth very few times in the Bible, maybe once with Paul, I think it's in the hall of the Oropagus in Acts 17. Almost every other time there was a whose God is God. There was not a discussion, there was a display of power. Almost every time. Because it settles the issue. Elijah, I mean that's the extreme example, but it's like that all through the scripture, across every covenant. Jesus prayed that we would bring glory to the Father. I think I've got it here. He says, By this my Father is glorified, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves or, so that you will be my disciples. We have to understand, friends, that the fruit of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which is? love, pay, yeah, all those things, right? Nine of them, we get them. That's the fruit of being. That's being, the fruit of being. It's funny to me, that people think they need to be baptizing in the spirit the life of the spirit or filled with the spirit or walking in the spirit for power yet they don't think they need him for those two it's the fruit of the spirit it, it, it don't come by striving it doesn't come by by uh, it doesn't come like that it's as i yield to him every day and the fruit of the spirit of god inside me starts to burst out starts to come forth that's the fruit of being Then you get the fruit of doing. That's John 15, well, 14 to 16. You bring glory to God when you show yourselves to bear much fruit. And he's talking about the fruit of doing. Both require the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They understood that. They need the Holy Spirit for both. So, that's the first perspective. They believed. I'm challenging you today. I really ask you to to allow this to sink in. Start to believe that God wants us to win, I know it's a worse kind of word, but He gets glory when through our lives there's fruit and victory we can give Him glory in any circumstance and in any situation but biblically when it says He got glory it was through victory most of the time alright, second perspective that they had, very quick they did not seem to struggle with the nature of God in terms of the Father, why? because Jesus stood there. I don't think we understood what it was like to be around Jesus. The absolute authority, presence, love, love to a degree that we cannot quite understand. The sense of having a father is actually what it was like to be around him. This incredible Christ, person of Jesus. And then they said, he said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when they went into the book of Acts, there wasn't this, well, you know, I don't know if God's good, I don't know if God wants to do this. So many people struggle with that. It was settled in them. Well, what's God's desire in this? What's God's nature? Well, they had walked with Jesus three years, and they watched him do what he did, and they watched him be who he was, and they watched him live like he lived, and they said, well, God's like that. It wasn't a struggle. So they walked in, in a sense, to the book of Acts, thinking, God wants us to actually be victorious. God wants to shine His glory through us. Why? Not for us so that He can get more glory, so we can glorify Him. That's what Jesus taught us, right, guys? They were like, yeah. They were like, oh, and well, God's good, so let's do that. Those two simple perspectives are warped in many people today. So those are just perspectives that they had. Then we're going to go into this today, God willing. There are two fundamental, basic, yet absolutely profound truths that I believe, I mean, there's many, that they understood, that they, in a sense, also had completely settled. It was not a debate. It was not a yes or no. It was not, well, your theology, my theology. It was done inside of them, deep inside. And it was these two. Two basic, fundamental, yet profound truths, friends, that they believed. Number one. And this might challenge some of us, that Jesus in his earthly ministry operated as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit. He had to let go of his divinity, thereby enabling enabling them to do what what he did, if they had who he had. That's the way they saw it. I'll read it again. That Jesus in his earthly ministry operated as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit. He had let go of his divinity. Philippians 2, 5 to 9 says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word there is seized. But he made himself of no reputation. That word of no reputation in the Greek means completely emptied himself. He was emptied. He completely emptied himself and came down as a man and was obedient to God, even to obedience to death on a cross. It literally says that in the Bible. He was filled with the he had let go of his divinity, thereby enabling them, the disciples, to do what he did if they had who he had. They settled that. We're going to teach that today. Number two, Jesus lived a sinless life in complete submission to the Father, making them righteous, allowing them to be in right standing with God, the basis upon which they would receive said Holy Spirit these two fundamental truths were solid inside of them and I know we're touching on some sensitive ground here I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't God he was fully God fully man absolutely the seven I am statements that he makes in the book of John I am the bread of life I am this I am that. He was fully God but fully man but in his ministry, in his operation, in what he did, he operated as a man filled by the Spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings. Friends, what's the difference between resurrection and being raised from the dead? Many people have been raised from the dead. What's the difference between resurrection and being raised from the dead? Obviously, we know resurrection means you don't die again. When you are resurrected, you bear in your body the marks of death, yet it does not affect you. Think about it. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side, yet he was alive. And I don't know why the Lord's leading me to say this. I understand it's metaphorical. But this, there's this massive emphasis on zombies, and I'm not saying it's bad, but there was only one person who ever actually did that to some degree, not like them, who walked around on him what killed him, only one. Just consider that, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom. I've always wished I could hear those sermons. I really, I imagine that. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We spoke about that last week, how desperately they missed it. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, on point one, what did it mean to them when he said, that you w- he actually said it to them in Luke 24. It just says that he said it here, but he actually spoke it in Luke 24. That I behold, I will send upon you the promise of my Father. What did that mean to them? Let's go to John 14, just a few pages back. In John 14, I'm going to have to skip over some things, but in John 14, it actually moves from 13 all the way to through to 17. It was the final teaching. It was. What Jesus gave his disciples, some of it in the upper room, some not, but what Jesus gave his disciples the night before he went to the cross. It's this final, uh, like this, teaching like that, okay? And he focused on many things, but primarily the Holy Spirit and love. But he focused a lot on the Holy Spirit, a lot. It's very interesting, I cannot go into this in a sense, but it's fascinating to me that he waited for Judas to leave before he started to teach them on the Holy Spirit. It was that precious to him and so in john 14 many theologians call it the farewell discourse and it's the night before the cross we'll pick it up in john 14 verse 7 i think he said if you had known me you would have known my father also see there it is right there they didn't doubt that and from now on you have known and seen him philip said to him lord show us the father and it is sufficient for us jesus said to him have i been with you so long and yet you have not known me philip He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? By the time the book of Acts came, that was settled. That's what God's like. Then he said, do you not believe, very important verse, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He said, the words I speak to you, are not on my own authority but the Father in me does the works words to works for two very important things not on my own authority it was not the authority sourced within him it was the authority of God he said I only say what I hear the words I speak are not my own they are his not my own authority what is that perfect submission They understood that. They watched that, that process, that he was in perfect submission to another. He said, it is the works that I do. You know, up until he rose, until he rose again, until he died and rose, the accreditation, the the proof in a sense that he was who he said he was, that that was actually the miraculous. He said it many times. He said, if you don't believe in me, believe in the miracles. That was proof to them. (laughs) And he said, these works that I do, they're not sourced within me. And I know for some of you, this is obvious. It's obvious. You're like, we know this. I'm asking, allow the Lord to put it into your heart through revelation, not here. Through revelation. What does that mean for you? The works that he did were not sourced from himself. He said, it is not me who does the works. It's the Father in me. And he's actually talking about the Holy Spirit, which explains in the next few chapters. Then he says this. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. There it is. Most assuredly or truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you, will, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper uh, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He dwells with you but will be in you. Because He hadn't died, so that wasn't in them yet. So, very stunning. Why is this stunning? I say to you, the works that I do, He's just explained when he says, the works that I do, he's just told them, they're not from me. The works that my Father does through me is what he's saying. He says, you will also do those works. Why? He gives them the reason. Well, because I'm leaving. That's the reason, because I go to the Father. In John chapter 16, in the same discourse, in the same night, he says, now go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks where I'm going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because he was leaving, they were sad. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Imagine Jesus saying that. Can you actually picture it? With all that he was doing, with all the power. The Bible says this, there wouldn't be enough books on the earth to fill what Jesus did. Actually says that in the Bible. We get this little part. And he says, by the way, it's to your advantage that I go how important then is the Holy Spirit he says because if I don't go the helper the Holy Spirit will not come to you what's interesting to me in this entire discourse of John 13 to 17 he does not mention the word power he explains to them this is how the Spirit will operate through you He says he will take of what is mine and declare it to you he even says the Spirit himself will also like me will not speak on his own authority, just as I didn't speak on my own authority. The Spirit will will guide you into all truth. The Spirit will teach you all things. The Spirit will remind you of everything I said. The Spirit, and He gives him all these beautiful explanations. This is what it will look like to operate filled by the Spirit. This is what He will do. This is how He will function in you. But He never says power. So, go back to the book of Acts. Acts 1. When Acts 1 comes, now we're going to go through this quick. You guys are right with this? When you go back to the book of Acts and he says, Behold, I send you the promise of the Father. The Father in me does the works. He says, I'm going to send upon you the promise of the Father. He says that in a sense to take them back to that teaching because it was just the night before he died that he gave it to them. They said, Oh, he's talking about that, that thing. He, you know, that thing. Yeah, he's talking about that. That's what happened. And then he says, and then he says even more, but you shall be baptized in this Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting, friends, that the requirement for the person who replaced Judas had to be present at the baptism. You know that? Because they had to see how he was empowered. Then he says this. Then he goes on and he says, You will receive power. He finishes. This great discourse of of the person of the Holy Spirit being baptized. He finished this, this discussion, this teaching on the Holy Spirit with what? You will receive power. Yes, He will do all those things. He will everything I said to you. And the last thing He says before He leaves. And when He comes, guys, I haven't told you this yet. You will receive power. It's the last thing He said to them. And then He leaves. He actually says, as he spoke these things while they watched he was taken up it says and they worshiped they recognized all of a sudden they recognized he's God they had just asked him are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel and now they're like he's, he literally ascended and they worshiped as Jewish men you gotta understand worship was a big deal you worshiped no one but God no one it says they worshiped Then. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. We'll deal with that next week. And there's a the crowd's response. People think they're drunk. We know th- Who knows the story? Many of you, the power of the Spirit is so present on these men, they do crazy things. We'll just leave it there. We'll get there next week. Peter stands up and begins to teach. And this is important, what we're going to get to now. He begins to teach. And he says, But Peter, standing up the 11 Acts 2.14, raised his voice, said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. And he speaks out of Joel chapter 2. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know that even though Peter said that, he didn't know what he was saying, because he didn't really believe that it was all flesh. He thought Jews. True. Acts chapter 10 comes along. The Gentiles, he's like, surely not Lord. What did it mean for him? We have to understand in the day. What did it mean for him? He's speaking to a Jewish audience. And he said, guys, the thing that Joel spoke about, that the Lord will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. He's saying, on all of us. Why? Because in the Old Testament, it was limited to prophets, priests, kings, and judges and rulers and so forth. He said, guys, you all have access. The Holy Spirit can come upon all of you. And they were all around when Jesus operated. Please hear me. I know some of you have heard this a million times. We need to hear it again, and again, and again. And he says, "Then I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. My and my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and a moon into blood, before the coming." of the great and awesome, that's the second coming, day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, verse 22, very interesting. Listen very carefully. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him. Very important, why? He's telling this Jewish audience, remember what he did? Yeah, he did it as a man. Filled by the spirit that you're now seeing that is being poured out. The spirit that I'm talking to you about. He did it as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. Because God did it through him. It wasn't sourced within him. Because he had let go of his divinity. He's communicating this to a Jewish crowd. That would have blown their minds. Say, no ways. But how does he end it? Verse 36. Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, that's the man part, fully man, fully God, Jesus Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Starts with man, ends with Lord and Christ. Go to Acts chapter 10. He has this to him at the time awful revelation that hold on, this is not just for us, it's for everyone. He speaks to Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 comes. He says, let's go to verse 37 actually. That the word you know, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism with John preached. speaking about the ministry of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil. Why, friends? Because God was with him. It's very important. My dad used to say it like this, and it's one of the best ways to say it. Jesus operated as a man anointed by the Spirit, rightly related to God. Those two things. As a man anointed by the Spirit, rightly related to God. R.A. Torrey, who lived in 1856 to 1928, I'm hammering this truth on purpose, because I want it to go so deep inside of you, and some of you it'll frustrate. So, it's it's not a bad thing. R.A. Torrey said, Jesus Christ obtained power for His divine works, not by His inherent divinity, but by His anointing through the Holy Spirit. That was in the 1800s. It's important. Why? We long for what we read here. But we need to settle what they settled in our hearts and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes by revelation. He begins to put it into your life and put it into your heart, put it into your heart as you just spend time with him and be with him and begin t- He begins to put this truth into you. And you begin to believe past your own failures that it's God who does it, not you. Very quickly, they believed the same thing about his death. That was point number two. It was also for them how Christ defeated death. I'm going to go on for another few minutes here because this is the most important point. It's the gospel, really is what it is. He lived as a man empowered by the Spirit. That's fantastic. But friend, he died as a man. We have to see it. We have to see it for it to be complete. He died as a man. I know the Bible says God raised him from the dead. Of course we know that but he died as a man. Why? Why is that important? If he didn't die as a man, he could not be a substitute sacrifice for man. And the integrity of God would have been compromised. He died as a man. Filled by the Holy Spirit, he died as a man. Fully God, fully man. Now, it's interesting because it gets into some funny things. Paul, Paul the great teacher, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He said this in 1 Corinthians 15:21. By man, speaking about Adam, small m, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. By man came death. That's through Adam, right? By man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. By man came death. death. By man came the resurrection of the dead. Next verse. For as in Adam, that's first man, all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is the great preacher, the great teacher, Paul. To the gentiles this is this incredible truth that he's bringing peter said it starts with man ends with christ he said it to the jews paul says it starts with man ends with christ same thing i'm not diminishing him if you think i am i'm not he is before all things all things consist in him he is the christ he is the lord he's the king of kings and lord of lords but he died as a man friends he could have squished the devil just like done because the Bible says all things were made through him he could have just but if he did it with his divinity it wouldn't have set mankind free because God would have had to deny his integrity in order to pardon man if it wasn't a man who did it so it's because of his love for you I've said it this way before he died for you but he died as you and if it wasn't his, his divinity that caused him to be able to defeat death what was it? great question What was it? Sinlessness. It was his sinlessness. A man rightly related to God and anointed by the Holy Spirit. It was sinlessness, friends. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People like, okay, but you said he was a man. Friends, when we were born on the earth, we were born with a sin nature. And I know this is the gospel, but we need to hear it. We were born with sin the wages of sin not sinning this inherent nature that you have it's like a disease that you cannot get rid of it that's why you do st- stupid things <laughs> we all do because of this nature okay jesus in a sense it was because of his divinity because he was born without that we have to understand that he was born without that but can a man born without that can a man with no sinful nature sin yeah, Adam did. Didn't, it didn't take him very long either. It was pretty fast. The actual fact, it was the only one thing. Please don't do this. I want to do that. It's just like a two-year-old. Okay? It's very important, friends. Why? Romans 8.3 says, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of f- sinful flesh on account of sin. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Meaning what? He wasn't sinful flesh, he was not, otherwise he would have been, as Ephesians says, by nature he would have been the object of wrath, but he was not. He was in our likeness, but he had not a sinful nature, yet Hebrews 4.15 says this, he was tempted in every way just as we, not differently than we, just as we, but he remained sinless, he remained perfectly submitted to the Father, he remained sinless. Jesus lived a sinless life. I'm going to drive this home with three quick scriptures. The Bible even says that Jesus, Jesus had his own will and that it differed from God's. Do you know that? Don't be offended. It's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it different in desire, but a different in source. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 7:16 My doctrine is not mine but his who sent me John 5:30 I can of myself do nothing why is it so important we need the baptism of the holy spirit friends desperately desperately why for the fruit of being to be empowered just to live the christian life and for the fruit of doing The disciples, this is the point, very important for us to understand, they understood, they had settled this in their heart. I'm asking you, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, "Um, either I don't understand or surely you can't be saying that or okay I know this, wherever you sit, I'm asking you to go home at some point this week and get on your knees or however you pray and begin to speak to the Lord about this issue why the disciples in the book of acts we talk about the book of acts when jesus said to them and every time you read this i hope this is going to stick in your head when jesus said to them behold i send upon you the promise of my father what did they hear in their head based on what he taught them what did they hear why is this so important because jesus do what he did. He was born without a sinful nature. Yes, we all love that. But the disciples were not. They were born with a nature just like me and just like you. Yet they did what he did. Why? Because they believed something. It wasn't even a struggle. It was in them. They said, Jesus, and Peter preached this, he knew this from day one. And he made sure that the Jews understood it. He made sure that the Gentiles understood it. Paul, and Paul made sure that people understood. He even died like that. Why? Why? Because it's the best way to bring glory to the Father. It's the best way. And I know this the high echelon of innocent Christian people in the Bible. I understand that, but we don't lessen Scripture. And so they knew it. They believed with all their heart. I can do what he did. Why? Because I will be empowered by who he was empowered by. And I'm righteous in right standing. I'm righteous because of the way he died. I have both. I have both. And because I have both, and it's completely based on Jesus, not on you. They believed that with everything that they had. That's why when they raised up a man in Acts chapter 3, they raised him up. He had been like that for over 40 years, birth, birth like that, couldn't walk. Imagine all the scar tissue and the stubs and the, think about it. And then they picked him up. And then they say to Israel, why do you marvel at this? And they said, as if by our own power or godliness, same two issues. Why do you think it's got to do with my character, my godliness, or my power? I can't do that, but I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit the same way that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've been made righteous because of what he did. My question to you is, do you believe that? Is that in your heart? deep inside in your heart. Because if it is, you will begin to discover that the Holy Spirit desires to become active in your heart. And sometimes it's not immediately for power. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's how you are at home. It begins to allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart and transform your heart because you cannot do that and you become yielded to the spirit. And you walk by the spirit. And you live by the spirit. And you act by the spirit. And you think on things above, not on things beneath. You are spirit led. You are a spirit being. A spirit person. Otherwise known as a Christian. And we bring glory to the Father. They also had no, no desire. People say, if you tell that. If you say that. And people go home and think about it you telling them they can live however they want and, and they're still righteous, therefore the miracles will still flow. You know what's so powerful about righteous? It, partly that is true. But it won't last. Because it's based on Christ, not you. But they wanted nothing to do with sinning. They wanted nothing to do with it because they had just witnessed what it cost him. So they wanted just far away from that as possible. They wanted it, noth- they want it on them. It's like It was like sticky goo to them. Ooh, I don't, don't want that on me. Don't want it on me. I don't want it in me. I don't want to think about it. I want to walk like he walked. I want to think he was. I oh, remember, guys, it's like they would have talked. Remember how perfectly submitted he was to the Father. Let's do that. Only by the Spirit. You cannot do it of yourself. I see Christians, oh, they try, they try, and they fail, and they fail. They fail. And the Bible says, John even said, if you sin, you still have an advocate with the Father. There's still grace. Mercies are fresh every day. But how low, and I know I'm going on on this, it's important. How low is the body of Christ? How how low in a sense are we, uh, uh, how am I going to explain this without saying the wrong thing? They did do greater things. And so people have come up with doctrines, and I'm sorry to offend. I'm actually not. People have come up with doctrines to explain away the lack of power. Well, it's not for today. That's not true. People have come up with all these things. He desires to display his splendor in your life and through your life. All based on what Jesus Christ did. See that. Believe it. Believe it. I'm going to ask my dad to pray for us. We're going to go into this. Are you with me? Okay. We're going to go into this uh, book of Acts over the next little while. Next week we're going to talk about Pentecost. Very important. The reason I've asked my dad to pray and I, I have given him no time for which I apologize, Dad. This morning I was praying and I said, Lord, I'm just being vulnerable with you. I said, Lord, I don't know how to end this I, I, what do I do and he said your dad will do it because friends it, it's okay we differently it's all in the body of Christ yeah we're not all the same and that's not a bad thing go for it dad it's a very important
1: subject this in terms of because we cannot live the life that we are called to live without empowering the Holy Spirit it's an impossibility nothing in Christianity That's going to happen that's going to be of any significance cannot happen without the work of the holy spirit it's impossibility anything eternal anything of value so i've always asked myself how do i know that the holy spirit is working in me and through me how do i know how do i recognize that so i can learn to work with what he's doing how do i know that how do i know he's working in me all that clayton has said How did the disciples begin to recognize they needed, in a sense, more of God to do what he had called them to do? How did they, because Paul says, live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5. So I quickly wrote down things while I was sitting there, very quickly, and I'm not going to be long. Literally, three minutes. Number one, tears. If you come to church and you haven't cried the whole week and you come here, and you start crying, either in the worship or whenever, the Holy Spirit is working in you. And you don't know why you're crying, but you're crying. Tears. Tears is a very good indicator that God is working something within you. And sometimes we don't understand. We don't need to understand. He will reveal it. (coughs) Sorry. Also, tears bring a tenderization of our heart. You know when you're going to eat a piece of steak, you need to tenderize it. God tenderizes our heart for what he's going to do in us and through us. And tears. Tears is a good sign. Number two, when there's a stirring inside you, just a deep stirring. The Bible says in Ezra, when God wanted to perform what he told them, he promised he would perform, he stirred their hearts. He stirred the heart of King Cyrus. who was a pagan king. He stirred something. And so when you find the stirring in you for the things of God, That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's how you recognize, God, you're at work in me. Next thing, a desire to read. Read the word. Because in your naturalness, in your humanness, you won't want to read the word. Because that's what the Bible says. The natural man is an enmity to God. So you don't wake up in your natural self and say, oh, good, I'm going to read the word this morning. No, it's God working in you to put the desire in you to read the word. You with me? To read the word, to read on testimonies, and to read godly books. Not just normal books, books that something are pointing towards the Lord. testimonies, whatever the case is. Three more. When you, number four, when you have true heart questions inside you, you're really asking God questions. You're not questioning who he is, but you're questioning God, how does this work? How does this happen? How does this work in my life? That's the Spirit of God working in you. You won't ask those questions out of your natural self. That's what I'm trying to say. Next one, a desire to be used by God. How many desire to be used by God? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. He's put that desire there. And you know what? You get frustrated with yourself because you're not being used like you would like to be used. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because then you press into God. And it's the Holy Spirit putting that inside you. Amen. Number six, a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. You're dissatisfied where you're at. Not that you're unhappy. You're just, God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. God, I've got to experience more. Surely, surely there's more than just this. That's what I call a holy dissatisfaction. Because we're satisfied in Christ, but there's a desire for more understand what i'm saying i know in my life that's been a big thing for me i just said god there has to be more than this there has to be I, what i'm seeing and experience and what i read in your word they pulls apart there's got to be more amen and then the last one the desire to point people to jesus But i'm saying oh god i'm not doing a very good job of this but it is design you that's a work of the holy spirit That's how you know God is working in you. And when you see those things, and there are some others, then allow God to do that in you. Say, Holy Spirit, work this in me. Work this in me. Work this in me. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit, because we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You with me? All that Clayton is saying, then I can do what Jesus did in the way that you want me to do it. Amen? Just Mm. the theology that Clayton just brought. So, if you're sitting here this morning, and you come to this church or any church, and you just felt yourself, you just been, you just start crying. You don't understand it in the worship or whatever, and particularly of late, and that's been you. I'm going to ask you, won't you stand? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. All right. I'm, the reason why I'm asking you to stand is I want you to recognize what God is doing, and I want people around you to recognize, oh my, God is at work. You just started to weep. You didn't understand at all. Next thing. There's been a stirring in your heart. Just out of the blue, there's just been a stirring in your heart for something of God, for whatever. It's just a deep stirring in your heart that you haven't had for a while, but all of a sudden it's happening. once you stand? Hallelujah. All right. Next one. A desire to read the word, and you know it's not of you. And a desire to read good things godly testimony books won't you stand all right wonderful all right if you've had true hard questions really hard questions inside you god i really just want to know this won't you stand my hallelujah by the end of hopefully everybody's standing anyway (laughs) you have a holy dissatisfaction for where you're at in your christian walk you love the lord With all your heart, but you just say, God, there has to be more. I just want to experience more. I want to walk in more. I want to see more. Won't you stand? Hallelujah. And then a desire to point people to Jesus. But you're saying, I'm not doing a very good job of this. Won't you stand? Amen. Now, I want you to look around and see how many people are standing. And if you're not standing, that doesn't mean God's not working in you. I don't mean that at all i'm doing this because we're in a pray now god come and do what only you can do by the power of your spirit if i need to be refilled refill me if i need to i want you to recognize god at work in your life that's all i'm trying to do and it's by the power of the holy spirit amen so you can recognize that when you're at home and you wake up and you when one of these things begin to happen at you, you can say, God, you're working in me. You're working in me. Then take some time out and give him space to work and clutter your life a little bit over the next while Just give him space to do the work in you. Amen. Because we've got to cooperate with him. You with me? All right, why don't you close your eyes. Father, we just acknowledge and thank you for your work in our lives. Just as Clayton has taught and your word is declared. We cannot do this of our own accord, Lord. We cannot live the Christian life. We cannot bring glory to you without you, Holy Spirit, without your work and your activity in our life. And we are asking you, Father, please. Empower us afresh. Continue to work within us. Continue to dig deep. Continue to break things off. And continue to empower. Even now, in Jesus' name, we ask this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. we're going to end in about a minute <coughs> you stand standing there and you're just saying all right as i stood but now i just recognize afresh his manifest presence all i want you to do is put your hand up and i'm asking you to do this just to you acknowledge and say god i acknowledge you are with me right now i can just sense you i can just feel you somehow whatever that feels to you looks like to you father thank you bless your work Lord bless what you're doing thank you Lord Jesus thank you thank you for your work Holy Spirit in our lives thank you and Lord we say we bless and we thank you for what you're doing in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen.